If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Florian Otto, co-founder and CEO at Cedar, the healthcare financial engagement platform that keeps patients happy and businesses healthy. Florian co-founded Cedar in 2016 to combine the best techniques of fintech, consumer, and healthcare to help providers understand and engage patients more effectively. Valued at over $3 billion, Cedar helps now over 15 million patients pay healthcare bills with ease. Prior to founding Cedar, Florian was an executive at ZocDoc, where he drove the commercial adoption of the platform. Florian also founded a daily deal company in Brazil, Club Urbano, uh, that was eventually acquired by Groupon. After the acquisition, he became CEO of Groupon Brazil, growing the company to one of Groupon's top three international markets. Florian began his business career as a strategy consultant at McKinsey & Company within their healthcare practice. Florian holds an MD, DDS, and PhD from the University of Freiburg, Germany. And with that, let's welcome Florian. Hi, Florian. First of all, Florian, so excited to have you here. I've been hearing fabulous things about Cedar for a long time now. I want to just kind of start from the beginning. Uh, you have such a fascinating background. And for everybody that maybe hasn't heard about Cedar and everything that you're building, why don't we just start with what is Cedar in your own words? Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. So what, what is Cedar? Cedar sits between the patient and the healthcare system. So we are a digital health company, somehow between fintech and I would say um, healthcare technology to improve the healthcare experience for all of us. So the mission is to empower consumers to easily and affordably pursue the care they need. So we started basically as a consumer-focused company to bring modern technology into the healthcare system, where the innovation right now always have been on the medical side, but not on the patient engagement side. I want you to just kind of help people understand, you know, in the, the healthcare ecosystem, you've got three parties, three critical parties. You've got the patient, you've got the payer and the provider. Can you just help everybody understand where Cedar sits in between those three? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we do, uh, we started basically as a purely post-visit financial experience company. So that means basically between the healthcare provider and the patient. That developed a little bit further because we at some point then had other tools that were um, on top of, like, for example, denials messaging from the insurance claims. So that is information from the insurance company, but of course, touches also the consumer. Then we went to the pre-visit. The pre-visit, of course, has also some other workflows that involve, for example, transparency, check-in experiences, where we also need the payer integration. But we were pretty much, I would say, a company between the provider and the patient. And then last year, we bought a company called Uda Health, and they were trying to solve the same problem that Cedar was trying, but from a different angle, literally going to the pairs and trying to do the billing directly from the pairs. So right now, together with the combination of Uda and Cedar, we actually have everything. We have all the payer information that we can layer on top of the bills 
And together within one single voice, we can communicate with the patient to really have them transparent and convenient, all of the administrative experience. And then there's one more product, which is um, a little bit more nascent. Um, it's called UDA Optic. That is literally a prior authorization product that purely sits between the provider and the payer. On so many occasions in my life, I've needed Cedar, and so I'm so excited to, to, to talk about just how you really are making people's lives so much better. Um, but before we kind of go more into the business, I want to step back. So you hold an MD, a DDS, and a PhD. You also were a strategy consultant at McKinsey in healthcare, and then you spent early days you know, at ZocDoc. I think you may be one of the most informed people possible to go out and build what you're building. Give us a sense about how that's really been a competitive advantage for you. And then I'd love to hear the aha moment where you said, somebody's got to go build this. Yeah, great, great question. So I think overall, I mean, there are a lot of skills you need as an entrepreneur to really start a company. And um, of course, there's this aha moment. So I'll definitely talk about that. But so about my background, yes, I've been very deep because I'm, I have just passion for healthcare. I love caring about people because everybody knows that everybody has been sick already. When you are sick, the only thing you care about is getting healthy again. You don't care about anything else. So being a doctor was kind of the first step. And then the decision was, okay, it's really boring to be a doctor, in my opinion. It's interesting to become a doctor, but boring to be a doctor. Because in maxillofacial surgery, you do the same procedure again and again and again. So again, it's a little bit boring. And then only then are you really good if you're repetitive and you do the same procedure hundreds of times. And the other problem is not really scalable because you always treat one patient at a time. So then I went to consulting to really learn a bit more the business side. So it was more like, I would say, a paid MBA. I never really planned to be a strategy consultant all my life. But it was a great way to really learn on how business works in healthcare. Moved to Brazil, lived five years in Brazil, learned entrepreneurship by starting a company that got acquired by Groupon, was then CEO of Groupon Brazil, and then worked at ZocDoc for a few years. So back to your real question, what was the aha moment? The aha moment was actually my wife, who had a really bad billing experience in New York. So she fainted on the street and the first bill, everything in caps letters got it um, uh, needed to log into a portal. The portal didn't work with Google Chrome. It's a really bad experience. Next month came the next invoice from the imaging center, where literally there was a slip of paper where she could fill in her credit card information and then mail it back with a snail mail. And then half a year later, a debt collector called her for a lab bill that she, of course, never received before because she changed the addresses. So really bad experience. And she said, never take me back to the, health, uh, to, to the hospital because she lost trust in that provider. And there is this saying, trust is consistency over time. And that was completely broken there. And yeah, just look on Yelp or Google reviews, you see the number one complaint for patients is the billing experience. And of course, just understanding on how is the experience that the consumer is facing everywhere else besides healthcare is increasing every single day and week because of new technology. And yeah, we have Netflix right now. We have Amazon that is personalized. Uber knows already where you want to go before you open the app. And then you get, everybody gets the same bill after 30, 69 days, doesn't make sense. So then we decided, okay, let's let's build this. And we're of course excited to partner with my co-founder to launch the company. You're sort of preaching to the choir here because as a certified financial planner who's focused on America's wallet, the worst way to to really hurt your credit score is to not pay a bill. And the number one reason why people hurt their credit scores with bills is a health bill that is either mailed or snail mailed. 
that you move and you don't ever know happens. And for $70 bill or you know a $100 bill, you lose 70 points on your credit score. Totally. I can share one interesting stat that you probably will, uh, you would enjoy if it wasn't sad, but uh, it's the following. So in the US, there are 50 million people with a bad credit score because of medical debt. 50 million people, that's basically one out of six. And out of them half, so 25 million, have otherwise a clean credit score. And the median outstanding balance is 200 bucks. So if you have a clean credit score and you own 200 bucks, you would be able to pay because of course there are payment plans and everything available. But the reason is exactly what you explained. You get them in the mail, you forgot it. So it's people like my wife. So there definitely is a better way to do this. And um, we strongly believe that if there's an emotional strain on the patient, that also jeopardizes the healing of them because it's an emotional stress that they have. And we want them to focus on getting healthy and not needing to worry about their financial experience. Walk people through what it feels like to be a seater end user. Because we're talking about like a simplified billing system. What does that mean? Give me a sense of what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, basically we developed this platform just just maybe compared pre-seater. Pre-seater is literally you get either an email or you get a physical statement after right after 30 days after the visit, 60 days and maybe 90 days out. And then if you don't pay, you go into bad debt collection. So what is Cedar doing? Cedar basically is taking best practices from other consumer technologies. And what does that mean? So we really want to be mobile first. We want to be immediate. We want to be transparent and convenient. And that is what the consumer is requesting, right? Because that's what they are being presented everywhere else. So what do we start doing? So we developed this uh, product that literally has a very intuitive flow and a good UI. So for example, username and password to the portal, everybody hates that. So it's just easy to factor authentication. We're translating codes, these billing codes into human understandable English. Why should we say venipuncture if we can say blood draw? Blood draw, everybody understands all of a sudden. We are merging bills from different um, providers together. So for example, inpatient and then the physicians, we can merge those together. If you have a question, you can just chat 24-7 and get the response directly from the chatbot or from a human being. You can set up a payment plan directly if, in the app if you want to do this. You can pay with Apple Pay, you can pay with HSA card, you can pay with credit card, debit card, direct ACH, and so on. So a lot of ways to do it and then give your rating. So an extremely good consumer experience. And then the second big piece is the personalization. And the personalization, just compared with almost anything else that is personalized, I mentioned the Uber example. If you're right now you, Alexa, open your Amazon account, looks different from mine. Or your Netflix queue on the suggestions look different from mine. Why is that? Because we are different people, we have different preferences. So we react to something else. And we exactly do the same also on the healthcare billing, because the consumer is exactly the same that also touches all of the other consumer industries. So we basically personalize everything. Everybody gets a different message at a different time through a different channel. When you then log in, everything looks different. For some patients, for example, one click to pay is highlighted because the reason for them not to pay is usually convenience. For somebody else, it might be affordability is an issue. So if it's a patient right now, median house value of a zip code is $150,000. They defaulted on an invoice before already. They are owing $600. We would never ask them to pay $600 because very likely they cannot pay $600 all at once. But we would ask pay as little as $25 every other week. 
So we targeted all of those to make it digestible for the patients and guide them through this entire process and financial journey. Literally music to my ears on so many levels. One of the things that you've you've shared is that Cedar has now penetrated the market by 1%, leaving a massive opportunity to go capture 99% of patients in the healthcare system. Give us a sense of your, your, your approach to customer acquisition and how you're thinking about making sure more and more families can get access to Cedar. We are classic B2B2C company. So we do not go directly and outreach to patients, but we do this through the provider. So that means how do we get more patients using us? We need to sell into healthcare systems and then integrate with their system and then invoice the, the patients. So question is basically how do we get more healthcare systems? And let's be very transparent. It is difficult. It's not easy. It's a sales. It's an enterprise sale. We are basically changing the status quo on how organizations have done it for 50 plus years. Um, but in the end, of course, what really matters to them, healthcare systems care about their patients. They are their customers. And the interesting stats, for example, that um, uh, that in the, uh, that um, the patient experience after discharge and then 30 days out drops by 40%. And what happens in between? The only thing is billing after discharge. So, so really this sore moment of the entire patient journey is the billing process. And if you elevate that, the entire experience gets better. So what do the healthcare systems really care about? First of all, patient satisfaction. They're investing millions of dollars in marketing and having a bad review on Yelp is very costly for them because consumers want to choose. So we did a customer survey of a lot of patients and we actually find out that 43% of the patients would switch a provider because of bad billing experience or digital experience. That's, of course, shocking if, if the health system just used them. Wow. Yeah. And it makes total sense, right? So patient experience matters to them. Um, of course, the non-payment rates. In average, only 40 cents on the dollar is being paid from the patient to the healthcare system. That's, of course, shocking, right? It takes an average around 60 days for them to get paid. That's very, very long. And last but not least, it's extremely expensive to get paid because the payment rates are so low and sending the paper statements is pretty expensive. And of course, a lot goes into that debt collection, which is expensive and also on the patient satisfaction. So those four things really matter. And the positive results drives our health systems to refer other healthcare systems to sign up for CEDA. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to transition a little bit so that everybody who's listening can learn from you. Um, you recently said you just obviously acquired Uda Health. Can you just give us a sense of like the three things that you believe are critical to making a successful acquisition work? So not in buying the business, but post-acquisition, what are the two or three things that you feel are critical to ensure that you actually make the strategy come together? Yeah, it's a, I love to talk about this because I think in M&A, first of all, I think it's kind of undervalued for a lot of 
startups. A lot of startups are not doing this because they're afraid of it. Because we know, of course, all the statistics that probably 60 or 70% of the M&A activity is destroyed in value. However, I think it's done right. It is extremely synergetic and can really add value to both sides. So I think the very first thing is the culture of both companies. That is usually where, where kind of yeah, things break down all the time. When the cultures and the mission of the companies are not aligned at all, then I don't believe any integration really can ever work. So in my opinion, don't do an acquisition or selling the company if the cultures didn't work out. I think that's the first thing. The second thing, of course, you need to have a very clear view on what will be the integration look like. Is it right now full integration like we did with UDA? So everybody, literally, it's one company right now. And the, the people became Cedarians right now. The former Udans became Cedarians. There's one brand and everything. Do you want to rather keep it as a separate business, which can also be fine. It's not, not that it's better or worse. But you have a very clear strategy on that. And I think the third thing is, maybe a little bit piggybacking on the strategy side is, what is the real value to the end consumer of why you're doing this acquisition? And I think financial acquisitions very seldom make sense, especially not in growing companies, but there needs to be somehow one plus one equals three. I think that's the important piece. So strategic, how do you add value more to the consumer? So I wanna step back, Florian, you started this business, we're growing it, you're uniquely qualified to go build Cedar, and then COVID happens. And I would love to get a sense from your insider point of view on how COVID really transformed your business and maybe what you thought back in March of 2020 and what you believe now that we've actually seen COVID really settle in. But I'd love to get a sense of your personal point of views of how COVID has really transformed healthcare. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, COVID, of course, was, was a terrible crisis for, for the entire society. Many human beings and families suffered from them, not only on the healthcare side, but I mean, also financially, as we as we talked about it. So it was definitely, I think, devastating. For a company, for example, like Cedar, it was in the beginning, it was devastating as well. So the Q2 of, of 2020 was very tough because the healthcare systems were very busy with just trying to keep the emergency rooms up and running. Um, if you don't sell PPE, you are not very welcome <laughs> to have any conversations with them. And of course, you need to adopt. And that's the interesting piece. The healthcare systems have adopted to what the consumers really need. And a lot of things change. I think the first, for example, is healthcare is not local purely anymore, but it's also yeah much more national. People are moving more from one location to the other. And the healthcare provider, they might even just want to stay with the healthcare provider, or they're more open to change the healthcare provider. If they change, of course, the hospitality experience or the digital experience is very relevant. If they want to stay with the healthcare provider, a different mode of communicating with the healthcare provider becomes important. So we, of course, have seen telemedicine going up quite a bit. Sending right now physical statement doesn't seem to be the best idea when people move the addresses. And of course, patients also right now do much more on their phone. So we definitely see this. I think the last piece maybe is also what we are seeing from patients, that they are much more vulnerable towards um, larger bills because, yeah, there was a lot of hardship. So doing compassionate billing is what we, for example, did. So when the crisis hit, we worked with our providers. We said, let's increase right now our dunning cycles. Let's not send them to collections. All of those things will help. Um, actually, even on the payment side. So absolute payments went up, patient satisfactions went up because of that. 
you have a unique perch sitting inside a, a company that's helping make sure you transform healthcare and particularly the financial services inside healthcare. But I'd love to get a sense, if you fast forward a decade, give us this, any prediction you have about how the category is going to change. So fast forward a decade, I want to hear your boldest predictions of things that you see as almost obvious that maybe everybody listening who's not a healthcare expert maybe wouldn't see. Yeah, so um, do, do you want the realistic or the optimistic? <laughs> I want the optimistic and, and then maybe the realistic too. Give us both, but I do want the optimistic. Okay, so so the optimistic is the first, which I think every person who has an outside-in perspective with the U.S. healthcare system, the biggest problem in the U.S. healthcare system is that you have people who are non-insured and who have basically a financial breakdown because they need medical care. This is completely not understandable for anybody who comes outside the U.S. in this country. Such a wealthy country has people going bankrupt. The second problem, you have the poorest are the uninsured. That makes no sense. And you understand financial um, health, of course, extremely well, that the richest should be non-insured and the poorest should be insured. We in the US need to understand that the healthcare funding should not go on a risk base. So the higher your risk, the higher is your contribution to the system. But I think it should go rather on what is your salary? What is your income? And that's how it should go. So if you're richer, you need to pay a little bit more. If you're poor and your income is lower, you should pay a little bit less. So it's a com completely fundamental shift in how the system is funded. And I think what basically is necessary, there is a mind shift change that you pay not based on your risk, but on your income. And that is actually fine. That's also about taxes. So that is a big thing. Then let's talk about the out-of-pocket. I think out-of-pocket in general is actually not wrong. And it's not bad to have out-of-pocket. But we have, again, the same problem, that the underinsured have the highest deductible and they usually have the lowest means. That doesn't make any sense, right? If you right now have a bronze, for example, plan on Obamacare and uh, your average um, annual income is $20,000 and you need to pay $3,000 out of pocket, that's not an insurance. So it doesn't make any sense to have this. So changing this so that the richest people can have the lowest coverage and the poorest people need to have the highest coverage is a paradigm that I would love to see in this country. And then, of course, comes why do you have a deductible? Because you basically want to put the power back to the patient to get the care that is efficient and put the power basically back to them. I strongly believe that this needs to happen. It's not happening right now because nobody really knows where, where to go, how the prices are, and how the prices match to quality. But I strongly believe that this has to change and this will change, that in five or 10 years, people will know where to go, whether they want to go to the highest quality provider that is very expensive or to a cheaper one because it is a very standard and routine visit. I would love to get a sense on Florian of what worries you most about the category over the next decade. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just around you know billing and payments like healthcare. What are the things that keep you up at night most as you look forward, at, you know, five to 10 years out uh, and, and the things that, you know, scared you personally? Yeah, I think, I mean, a, a lot of things, I think, scare me as, as kind of a yeah, citizen and uh, some scare me also as an entrepreneur. And in the end, they, they are, I would say pretty much the same because what scares me as a citizen can usually be 
I think, mitigated by good entrepreneurs entering the space. So overall, I'm, by the way, very optimistic on this space. So even if I say right now what scares me, I think there are way more things to be optimistic about. Like all good entrepreneurs, you're optimistic on the space. I love it. Otherwise, I would not have started the company, right? So I think what am I scared about? I think the first thing is just the velocity of change in healthcare is just extremely slow. And um, what does that basically mean? Health systems are very slow in adopting new technologies. Getting partnerships with health plans takes a very long time. Not knowing how the legislation will look in two years is, of course, another threat to any entrant in this. And then last but not least, you have very large players in the EHR space or in on the insurance space that literally can crush any startup. So all of those together, I think, put a lot of threats on any new company. And that, of course, makes it less attractive to enter the space. And also, I think the last piece, we'd love to also to hear, hear your opinion on that, is just the timeline of getting to scale. It is longer than in consumer. And for investors, for example, venture investors, if you have a typical fund of, I don't know, let's call it seven years, good luck starting a really good healthcare company, a technology company that has a life of seven years. You might be not even halfway through. So Cedar is a six-year-old company right now. I think we had some decent momentum, but we probably have 1% if even market penetration. So I wouldn't consider that mission accomplished. I want to transition now a, a little bit to you. In your own words, uh, you've been running Cedar now for six years. Uh, you have you know north of 12 million patients and growing by the, the day. You're valued at over $3 billion. And you've been inside startups before, but now you're really at the helm of one. Can you tell me how the role of CEO has been different? In your own words, what's been the hardest part? What's been the best part? Yeah, I mean, the role of a CEO changes as much as the startup is changing, right? In the in the beginning, you're literally just very strategic. You're just assembling a team, defining the vision, and um, and you are one part of the team. Then at some point, you need to when when you I don't know hit this thirty to forty people, you need to recognize that you are actually the leader of this this team of thirty to fifty people, which is completely different. And all of a sudden, people that were peers, all of a sudden, you need to behave as a leader. Um, and then you come at some point into the stage, I would say the yeah, the 100, 150 people or so, where you don't know everybody from your team anymore. You need to behave very different. I think the, the biggest interesting piece, and of course, every leader I think is struggling with that, is that behavior of the leader needs to change. And I remember that, for example, really making big mistakes. In the beginning, I just bluntly always told my opinion on something. Right now, I need to know the consequences. When I say something in a meeting, my opinion, all of a sudden, it might be that somebody does it even without questioning me. And that is very dangerous. I'm, I'm only laughing because I, I, I learned this exact same point and it's, it's a really important one. Keep going. Yeah, I, th I think and you need to understand just surrounding yourself with people that are not afraid of speaking up, that are, of course, better in their position than I ever been and as a leader also to show vulnerability so I'm, I'm I'm trying even more openly to share where I messed up where are my weaknesses because that gives also I think permission to the team to point out hey you need to change we need to change something maybe your opinion is not the best and I I'm the first to acknowledge that my opinion is usually not the best it's usually one out of many of course I want to quickly transition to our last section. Uh, it's a quick fire round. I'm going to ask you a question. First thing that comes to your mind, give me the answer. Um, I want to start with to date. What was the biggest pinch me moment that you've had at Cedar where you said, 
I can't believe that just happened and went home truly, you know, on a cloud. I think there were, there were probably two. The first was when we really got the first results and saw the patient satisfaction and the payment rates coming in from our first client. It was maybe 18 months in, was absolutely blind because you're working for 18 months. You have no idea whether your product works. You have a good idea. But then having these results and just reading the feedback from the patients coming in is absolutely, it makes me ecstatic. And when I have a down moment, I look at them. And I think the second maybe pinch me moment was last year when, of course, everything was really difficult with COVID. We did a larger financing round. We did the UDA acquisition that really, I think, got a lot of excitement that we can move something in this category. And we are not the point solution. We have an existence to stay as an independent company for a lot of decades to go. I love that. Um, next question. Fast forward two years. How many days a week will people be in offices? <laughs> I, I think it depends on whom. I think I, I think probably a big part of the people would never come to an office because they all work remote first. I think a small percentage of the people will come five days a week and the majority pl- probably two or three days, I think, a week. I love that answer. I think it's fantastic. Um, I want you to tell us what your favorite question to ask when you're interviewing somebody that really gets to the core of whether or not you think this is the right person to join Cedar. I think it depends on the position. I, I really like when it's more of an executive role or a strategy role. I really like Peter Thiel's question, actually, on what do you know is true where a lot of people don't agree with you on. So I think that's very interesting to think this, okay, is somebody able to think outside the crowd and outside the box? Because that is very important for the entrepreneurial mindset and, yeah, reverting this group thinking. Otherwise, the question from a manager position is, what does your team tell me about you? And do you agree with what they say? That's the follow-up question. I'm always very interested because you find out a lot. First of all, what will they say about you? And secondly, um, are the leaders self-aware? I I love that follow-up question. Um, Last question I want to ask. I want you to think about any other company that's innovating in your category that's really early. It can be any startup, any idea that you're excited about that you want to give a shout out to. Can I say two companies? Maybe one in healthcare, maybe one empowering on the financial side because we are somehow in between fintech and uh, healthcare technology. I think on on the healthcare side, I'm really impressed by Cadence. I think Cadence is a great company because you're literally meeting the patients where they are at home. So it's a remote patient monitoring company. And you basically try to dismantle the hospital and getting the care in the home of the patients. I'm really passionate about that. I agree with you, by the way. We know them well. They're fantastic. They're a great company, great leader, and a great mission on what they're doing. And I think another company on maybe on the financial side, and I think actually you're an investor in them as well as public. I'm really passionate about them because they are um, doing a great job of literally yeah, giving the power back to the users of building financial wealth. I love that you love them as much as I do. Um, Florian, first of all, this has been such a delight. I could talk to you for so much longer. Um, everybody out there listening, if you want to learn more, please check out cedar.com and you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Von Tobel. And Florian, we're all rooting for you. Thank you so much for not only taking care of our future health plans, but making sure that everybody can actually afford them and pay them, which is more important than I think even most people really realize. So uh, we're rooting for you and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.